Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Attention collectors of vinyl. Have you ever gone into a record store and felt overwhelmed by all the unfamiliar options? Are you frustrated by the constantly increasing prices of classic rock staples? Do you avoid streaming music or long for the days when music was recommended to you by a friend instead of an algorithm? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then check out I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. Each week, hosts Sean, Jeremy, and Peter discuss an album and the artist's history. Previous episodes include selections by the Isley Brothers, the Carpenters, the Doobie Brothers, and Donna Summer, among others. Become a bargain bin pro and impress all your friends with cool music trivia. Listen to I'd Buy That for a dollar wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, my name is Frank Silvestri. I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which is very close to New Jersey, by the way. But I'm here to talk to you about why I am a Patreon supporter of Vishkana's Creative Control. The podcast, which hails from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, is an amazing, long-form journalistic excursion into music, art, comedy, geography, and so much more. Vish is an incredible interviewer who has a charming, disarming, funny, reverently irreverent style that feels so much more like a conversation than an interview. Vish has had these conversations with some really incredible artists, including Jeff Tweedy, Nels Klein, Ira Kaplan of Yola Tango, Dan Romano, Carson McCone, the white hot lung Juliana Rialino, and of course, one of my all-time favorites, the Sadies. So if you're like me and you find these kinds of conversations important and essential, I hope you'll join me in supporting Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Hi, 
Keith Ross is a talented young songwriter, singer, producer, and musician currently based in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Originally from a small conservative town near Ottawa, Ontario, Ross came out after high school and now identifies as trans. Raised in a household that loves music, Ross took up songwriting and performing, studied jazz singing at college in Toronto, and released the EP Motherwell via Birthday Cake Records in the fall of 2020. They found a whole new audience during the COVID-19 pandemic after their song, We'll Never Have Sex, resonated with a large audience online, including people at Universal Music who jointly signed them to Interscope and Republic Records. On May 19th, 2023, Republic released Ross's debut album. It's called To Learn, and it prompted Leith and I to have a talk about things like uh, people from Ontario who move to the prairies, life in Winnipeg, and why they left the Ottawa area, their musical family and early creative influences, avoiding technology and believing in boredom, the pros and cons of social media and ways to contribute to one's community, dehumanization in real life and via fame, fantastical nostalgia and regret, pondering the pandemic and touring these days, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, which is the primary way that you can support this show and its work uh, financially. So if you can and can afford to and feel compelled to, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to support this podcast today. Thank you. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and very friendly people who work there who will very, very happily help you uh, with whatever you need if you show up at one of their bricks-and-mortar locations. Uh, or you can order things right from their website, blackbird.ca. Say you want to order the new Leith Ross record to learn. Well, you just go to blackbird.ca, type it in, and sure enough, they, they might be able to ship it right to your house. That's how it works. Again, more info at blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 790 of Creative Control, featuring the wonderful Leith Ross with your host, me, Vishkana. Hi, Leith. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to uh, have you on the show, and, and thanks for asking. Where in the world are you today? I'm in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, which is home base for me. Nice. How's Winnipeg uh, these days? It's awesome. It's great in the summer. Uh, Winnipeg phenomena in the summer is because the winters are so long and so harsh. Everyone has a lot of fun constantly all the time for the brief two months that the weather is really nice. <laughs> yeah. So summers in Winnipeg are a good time. Mosquitoes? You got the skeeters? Like a big. We do. Yeah. We do. And they're ferocious, right? They are, yes. <laughs> but I'm used to it. I grew up <laughs> in a place with a, uh, an F ton of mosquitoes as well. So 
You can you can curse. The mosquitoes can't hear us. They you don't. Are you scared? Fuck They're the mosquitoes. Like, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they might hear me. <laughs> I think so too. I got a I got stung on my ankle bone and it's killing me. I got it like on yeah. Sunday. Yeah, ankle bones joints is the worst place to be bitten. My wife was like, "Why do they even do that? There's no blood." I'm like, I think there's I blood. In, I'm pretty sure there's blood all, everywhere. I, I don't know if they're, <laughs> I think they know what they're doing. Anyway, I, I'm in Edmonton, Alberta. Nice. So not too far from you. I'm from uh, Ontario, uh, Ontario originally, but I've been here like three years. So, uh, I'm nice. getting, yeah, it's, the, it is cold and harsh. The prairies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I, I can't really fault the mosquitoes for like having their own fun. They have been sleeping all winter too or something. Probably. <laughs> that's true. Anyway, it's nice. How long have you been in Winnipeg? Uh, I moved to Winnipeg about a year and a half ago now. Oh. And I, too, grew up in Ontario and then moved west. Uh, yeah. Something to that, don't it. you think? The Ontarians leaving Ontario for either yes. direction? What's yes. going on? What What's your perspective on what's going on? Uh, the fact that over 60% of Canada's entire population is in one tiny, like, six-hour radius. Um, Cor- corridor yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and i i just for me personally i think i wanted to maybe get away from such a heavily populated area i like smaller cities i grew up in ottawa or just outside of ottawa actually and then moved to toronto and then realized that toronto was way too fast paced for me but didn't want to move back to my hometown you know as yeah. it always is and decided to go to Winnipeg. That's cool, and I appreciate all the things you're saying. And I think some of the subtext is it's very expensive to live in a place where lots of people are clamoring for the same scraps of land and resources. Fair, yes. fair enough. Yeah. Yes, extremely expensive. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you can rent a like full three bedroom home for the same price as one room in Toronto in Winnipeg. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. Yeah. This the same home we now own. Would be millions of dollars where we were. I'm. I was living. In, are you familiar with Guelph, Ontario? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, you're gonna. Well, maybe we'll talk about it. You're playing there soon. Have you ever been? Yeah, I have been a couple of times, yeah. um, but never really spent any time. But I've heard great things about Guelph. Yeah, I lived there 23 years. Uh, wow. I started there for school and then uh, stayed, and my met my now wife there and. Uh, we stayed and we loved it, but it was expensive. We couldn't move into a nicer, uh, yeah. not, not even nicer, but like we have two kids. Complicated. It's very complicated. So yeah. I, I keep hearing about this Ontario exodus. Uh, and I also, I too have like personal reasons. I wouldn't want to live where I grew up. And I feel like all over your record, there are uh, points of discussion about maybe why you in particular might not want to live where you used to live. And I hope we'll get into that in a, in a moment. But uh, Winnipeg, did you just pick a place randomly? In terms of like... No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I ended up in Winnipeg because I got the opportunity to work with an amazing company, Birthday Cake Media, um, that is based in Winnipeg, and they helped me release my first project. Mm. And then because of my connection with them, I came out to play my first ever festival, which was Harvest Moon Festival, which is a beautiful little festival that happens just outside of the city. Mm-hmm. And I just like completely fell in love. The The music community is amazing. The musicians here are incredibly talented. It's not a competitive atmosphere. It's very supportive. People love working together. Everyone encourages each other. And coming from Toronto is just such a stark difference. And it just like made me feel 
so enamored with actually doing music as a career. I was like, okay, if it could be like this, then I'm down. Yeah. Instead of feeling like that, yeah, kind of like fast-paced, harsh, competition-y vibe that can sometimes exist in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Have, moved. You, have you come across uh, John K. Sampson or Christine Fellows, these sorts of people? Yes, of course. Oh, you have? Good. I've Yes, of course. Like, <laughs> I, you never I know. Mean, you may. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't like personally met them, but oh. I, I like it's like the Winnipeg Music Circle is so beautiful and small, and so obviously, oh. I'm a fan, and it's kind of, you know, everybody. You're all, you're never more than one person away, really. If you need help connecting with those two people, they're dear friends of mine. I can I can connect you. If you like, just oh let God. me know. Yeah, I love I, that. I love them so much. Christine was on the sh- the show about a I don't know whenever that last record came out a year and a half ago, something like that. And uh, yeah, I love them. So that's great. I think Winnipeg's great. You've alluded to this Ontario town you're from. Uh, you said near yes. Ottawa. Where where do you mind uh, specify? Every time I hear near Ottawa, I think of Wakefield. Uh, that's oh, just, true. That's my expense. That's my experience. I used to play in bands, and we'd always play the Black Sheep Inn. And hang out in Wakefield. We stayed at the Wake at the Black Sheep Inn, which was hell yeah, I love Wakefield. It's a bit. Uh, it was a bit strange. It's, uh, everyone told us it was haunted, and we were like, "Yeah, that checks out." It felt a little haunted. Anyway, sorry. Black Sheep Inn is an awesome <laughs> venue, though. I've only gone one time, but it just just got a certain je ne sais quoi about it. <laughs> I, I loved it. I loved every gig we played. Yeah. I, I I thought the feelings were good, and people would come out and all that kind of stuff. But whereabouts are, are you from? It's a place called Manatic. Oh, okay. Um so it's it's uh southwestish of Ottawa and about like half an hour on the highway. Okay. Yeah, I know I know of it. I don't know that I've True. been there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not many I mean, it's like sometimes people go for like daytime tourism kind of a vibe because it's like there is like one quaint little street. But I mean, it's a it's one of the more conservative ridings in the entire country. Yeah. The arsehole snake man who is currently the head of the conservative party that's his writing so i grew up in pierre polyev's writing so that is like it is a beautiful physically place but that is always like looming looming above the atmosphere of the village (laughs) Yeah, for my for the listeners of this show who uh, don't know Canada very well, this this Pierre fellow is uh, about the oiliest politician we've had yeah. in some time, and uh, far right and and posturing, and I don't think yes. has really a. Anyway, I don't want to rant about yeah. politics necessarily, <laughs> but he doesn't seem that and it's bad. I can see yeah. why you would uh, want to get out. My understanding, though, is despite that and the conservative nature of the writing, uh, your your family life was was pretty good, right? You enjoyed it. Yes, it was amazing. My parents are incredible. My siblings are amazing. I I actually had a a wonderful childhood, which is what every child deserves, but I do feel especially grateful for having that upbringing. Um yeah. it was filled with music and dancing and fun and good stuff. But your your family it was filled with music, but your parents, I believe, weren't particularly musical themselves. Is that correct? They, I mean, they, like my dad loved to get out the guitar once a week uh, on Friday and play like the five songs that he, that he knows. Um, my mom, and they both can hold the tune beautifully. Like we love singing together. Um, oh, but okay. they don't, they didn't have like my 
both of my grandfathers on both sides are like true, you know, like storytelling musicians are very passionate about it. They play a lot. My, my late grandfather on my mom's side played like, was one of those incredible men who played like six instruments, but didn't know how to read music. Like couldn't really tell you what chord he was playing, but could play it on anything because his ear was just that good. Like they are, they are like incredible musicians. So in that sense, it's like, you know, almost skipped a generation, but both my parents got, got a little bit of that. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, sorry. I, I, I'm kind of reciting some official bio lines. Yeah. But now, yeah, that, no. now, but now that we've dug deeper, I mean, I think if their parents, your parents, as parents were musical, then, Osmosis yeah. wise, like they had an affinity for music, even if they didn't play professionally. Is that a fair way of putting it? Uh, yeah, I would say mostly they were just music listeners and music lovers yeah. in that sense. Like, but they could definitely hold a tune. Nice. And uh, yeah, yeah. Now, your grandfathers that were uh, pr- uh, players, would we know them? Would they appear on recordings or anything like that? No, no. It was okay. uh, my grandfather on my mum's side um who is tommy it's a, a song that i have called tommy that's about him he's just like i mean he played in a lot of like little open mics or folk clubs he you know um okay. but his most of his musical life was just like being a yeah like a storytelling scot he just like played all the old scottish and irish traditional tunes that he knew all the time and told us stories about them and that kind of a thing. And then um, on my dad's side, coming from more of a like farming, working class uh, folk background, where it was a similar vibe. He was like playing old folk tunes and telling us stories. And But most of it was, you know, all, all of it, I guess, was sort of just in the house. But you were around your, you, you got to see your grandparents, your granddads, I suppose. You got to see them play or be around them when they played? Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, all the Sorry, time. Sorry, I... I'm not, this is not like I'm solving a case. I'm just no, trying no, to piece yeah. together because <laughs> I didn't have as much, like there was music in my house, but it was often Indian music and my parents weren't very encouraging of me. Like I'm a drummer primarily and they weren't that encouraging of it, but it sounds like you had full encouragement and exposure to family members playing music. And I imagine you would, it's probably safe to say that inspired you to play. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, it like literally was my first experiences with learning songs. Like my my grandpa would teach me old songs that he knew. And so I was like my first experience with performing and with singing and with trying to play instruments and also just like my first experience with really like loving music and like seeing it for what I think is like now what I now believe to be the most important part of it, which is just like a way to experience community and a way to experience like connection to other people, especially people that you love. Yeah. No, that's lovely. That, I mean, that's the best you can hope for. What kinds of songs uh, were your, your granddad's playing or, 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 and beyond that, like what other musicians were sort of grabbed your ear beyond uh, just the ones in your family? <laughs> just curious yeah, about what sort of influences <laughs> and inspirations. Did you, could you cite some? Uh, yeah, I mean, I could definitely try. As soon as I get asked this question, I forget everything I've ever heard. But um, <laughs> my my grandpa, my Scottish grandfather was it was just like predominantly old Irish traditionals or Scottish traditionals, like really old tunes where you don't know who who wrote them. Yeah, they're beautiful. Sometimes I don't even know the name, but I know all the words. Um, and then a lot of like old country, Chris Christopherson. Um, and Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson and stuff on my 
my dad's side. And so those was like, that was like the main things that were being played around the house when I was young. And then when I kind of got a little bit older, uh, the things, the CDs that like my mom would put on that then I would like steal and take to my room was like John Prine, um, India Ari, Corinne Bailey Ray, out of James. Yeah, there was kind of a little bit of everything, but it was also like, um, I didn't have, we, my parents were a bit anti-technology, hmm. so I didn't have access to the internet until I got my first iPod, which was like in high school, I think almost. Hmm. So the other thing is that I, I did mostly have my parents' music taste for most of my upbringing. And now looking back on it, I'm grateful that they have a great music taste. So, it sounds like but, some yeah. heavy hitters in terms of songwriters and singers there that you had access to. May I ask why they totally. were anti-technology? <laughs> I think they just were nervous about like it taking away our creativity or mm. um, they believed, they strongly believe and believed in boredom mm. and the magic that can come out of being bored. Like when you're bored, you have to come up with something to do and it fires up those very special parts of your brain. Um, that makes sense. And now that I'm older, I like really agree with them. And I'm very grateful actually that I didn't get like smart phones and things when my peers did because I think it was honestly a big, an important part of like me writing songs a lot from a young age because I was always bored and I was, you know, I wanted to be creative and I was like just getting into it. And I think it like really helped push me to do it. Do you uh, utilize that interest in being bored? when you're on the road to help you most people when they're on the road and they're traveling touring it's like put a comedy record on put on a record i got a book to read i'm gonna play a video game on my phone or whatever do you actually are like no i want nothing i want something to happen i want to be bored what kind of traveler are you at this point i have the opposite thing on the oh. road it's like so intense and emotional and um i find it really really difficult to tour just like because of the way that I am. So when I have a free second, I actually do want to be distracted so I can't think about yeah. how much I'm going through. <laughs> right. It's when I get home that then I delete all my social media and I get rid of any distractions and then I force myself to be bored because then I have like the time and space to like process stuff that's happened to me. I have the like I can actually write sit down and write a song if I want to. Yeah. Yeah. You must have an interesting relationship with social media generally because if I understand things correctly, and luckily you're here, so you can help me understand things correctly, the internet has played a big role, social media has played a big role in your ascent as an artist in recent years. True or false, Leith, is what I'm saying accurate? Very true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so do you have, like I do now, and I think like a lot of, as we're speaking, the love-hate relationship with social media is a really complicated thing because as we're speaking, some of the things are crumbling. There seems to be a new thing every week to replace the one thing that's crumbling. And what people are experiencing is either some semblance of good, I'm glad it's all falling apart, or, oh no, what am I going to do? I have a career because of this. I, I connect with people because of this, particularly in this, I think, still quasi-strange world of uh, you know, some people are remote. Like you and I are not in the same city, but we're using a thing and we can see each other and I, I yeah. know we're not the only ones. So do you have any philosophical perspective on where we're at and where you're at with the internet and its platforms and things like that? I do. And um, it's something I think about and I talk about a lot with my peers and with my friends. Um, but I think 
I think most of my philosophy on the on social media and the internet can like span over all the different kind of sections of it. Like there's the business perspective, like where it's literally an efficient tool for helping to promote yourself, especially if you're an artist, but also, you know, it's also entered into basically every other kind of business as well. Yes. But then also like just personal social relationships, um, a relationship to things like activism Mm -hmm. to like being political, all that stuff. Like I have a, a pretty similar opinion about all of those things, which is that in general, you know, I think it's a miraculous tool that we've developed and that it can be quite useful. But my, my deep belief is that it's overused and that in most of those areas, it's more of a hindrance than it is a help. Yeah. Um, especially for like the individual person, like, you know, in the area of like activism and, um, you know, being political and stuff, accessing something through social media is so much less likely to be effective than doing it in real life. But because we can do it through online, we don't go out and do it in real life. So there's like this insane decrease in like people doing physical work, physical action and more like reposting something on their story. And it it goes from like, you know, being actually involved in something to like, as long as you are seen to be involved in something, that's what matters. And that frustrates me. And then it's the same thing with music. Like, you know, it is amazing that we can use this as a tool to access other people and there can be some incredible communities online. But again, I think it takes away from the experience of like learning from the elders in your genre and hearing their stories. They're very important life stories and musical stories. It takes away from like forming a real bond with people that are doing the same thing as you. It takes away from like sometimes a more effective business strategy, which is like actually going out into the world and meeting people and knowing them deeply and in an important way and all those things. I feel like it's just, it can be good, but I think we lean on it way too much. And the way that we depend on it is detracting from what we could be doing. That's really well said. I I would agree with you on that level. And I also, I think some of it can point out where other people who are, you know, have access to changing things, aren't doing enough of it. I mean, particularly with media, like I feel like I, I know everyone thinks they get the real news from social media and that can be a dangerous thing too. But I do feel like I learn more about what's actually happening. (laughs) Like it seems like the media companies are a week behind. Oh yeah. I heard about that already from that scientist. I don't know. I don't actually know that scientist. They seem to have a lot of followers, (laughs) but they already said that was going to happen. Yeah. And now you're finally reporting on it. So it's get, it gets a really, it's really confusing. Anyway, we're not experts. I don't think we're going to resolve this, but I, I really appreciate what you had to say because I do sometimes think as I sit in my office that I'm not doing enough. I know I'm not doing what I used to be doing. Yeah. And sort of community work. I also moved to a place and immediately two months later is a pandemic. So like I don't even know who to talk to anymore. I'm just I talk to people like you every week. And I feel like I hey, I'm engaging, but am I? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, totally, totally <laughs> having the same it's, struggle like every day. It's yeah. very confusing and it's super hard to break out of it because the it's like feels like everything in the world now is kind of accessible through yes. your phone. Yes, but yeah. is that good or not? I can't tell. I feel informed. Yeah. You said activism, I think, and political. I I feel like these are sort of buzzwords for being well-informed and I don't see like some of it is I mean there's the actual practical thing of doing something but like 
I don't know. I feel like every time I say something, someone's like, ah, you worry too much. I'm like, no, I just read a thing. Yeah. That's it. I just know a thing because someone said it. I don't think I'm that worried. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I should be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The other thing about that, too, that I think is really important to acknowledge is, is the fact that, like, when uh, there is such a thing as like knowing too much about injustices yeah. that happen in the world because it doesn't actually lead you to action it makes you feel like you can't do anything like when i go on yeah, yeah when i go on social media and i think i see like a million things that are going wrong then it it creates this like feeling yeah of just like hopelessness and list like listlessness like i just can't i feel like i can't do anything whereas the the beautiful thing about like caring about people and getting involved with something pre social media or even now people who don't use social media it's like if you see something on your story and you become aware of it by seeing something on an Instagram story you're like oh that's interesting now I know that thing whereas yes. if you learn about something from a person in real life who's telling you about it there is almost always an action that follows that because they learned about it from another real person that they know and on Wednesdays they meet at this bar mm-hmm. and they do harm prevention training right. so then it's like you're it's like an immediate avenue into a real community that does real action, that participates in real things in the place that you live, which then also is so empowering because it's not like, oh, no, there's this big nebulous thing I can't do anything about. It's more like, oh, there's a person on my block down the street where if I go do this thing on Thursday, I can actually materially help them. And then that makes you feel so much better about doing things that are a bit further away from you too, like donating to stuff online, participating in mutual aid. Anyway, so that's what I just like... That's what I want for the younger generation of people who who seem to like really care so much about it, but then like also don't have a way into the actual physical communities that they occupy or like that they partake in. Yeah. And I think that it would get better a little bit if they weren't accessing all of it through social media. I think that's, again, that's well said. And I, I, I would agree with you. You've had the interesting experience, I think, of, a song of yours uh, getting getting a lot of steam online. And that, I think, maybe I'm wrong about this. Please correct me. I think that has thrust you into the real world in a different context than you had prior to it. So this is an example of almost exactly what you're talking about, except you have the experience of like, oh, shit, I actually now have to go out into the world and meet my people, meet the people who have, uh, who have, uh, you know, that song has resonated with all these people. And now I have this career potentially because of it. So what's that been like? Are you like, oh no, I have to go out into the world all the time now. Or are you like, finally, great. This song <laughs> being online has actually brought me into the world and I can help people with my music or something like that. Can you talk about the, maybe what I'm asking you is that before and after feeling, if you can articulate that yeah. still of, of this song kind of blowing up and your life, I think, changing is that overblown or no oh yeah no no okay. not at all can you yeah. talk about that 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 <laughs> dichotomy of like pre blow up versus how you're actually feeling about this it, uh, i know it can be heady yeah of course yeah. i mean another thing that i've been thinking about a lot for sure um <laughs> i think like first i mean it is amazing it's incredible i'm so lucky it's 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 almost entirely luck and circumstance and you know i know that's not to diminish that i wrote the song and that i may be talented but just like any other person is also talented and a lot of that has to do with you know it's just 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 like different intersections of things that might make you able to be successful on an app like tiktok yes um but anyway 
mainly I do feel grateful when I really think about it. Um, but there was a strange thing that happened where there was an assumption that it was just entirely incredible and that, um, you know, this is what everybody yeah. dreams of. This is what everybody aims for. Yeah. When in reality, when it happened, I was having a very different feeling, which was just like intense fear and the weight of a responsibility that I had no time to prepare for. Like having that many people paying attention to your life and listening to what you say is is a gift in the sense that now I can live and support myself. But in almost every other way other than like being able to help people, it is sort of a confusing and sometimes horrible experience right. where it's just like it's an important yeah it's an important responsibility that you you kind of didn't really ask for like I asked to be a musician but I I didn't ask to be kind of like a I don't know like a public figure in public some person. ways yeah. which yeah. yeah yeah and for my life to kind of be public information in some senses and it's inevitably going to be a complicated feeling. But the, the main thing that I always land back on is like disbelief that anybody truly enjoys it because the feeling of like having any kind of power over another human being is not a good one. It's one of the worst things I've ever experienced in my life. And it's, it's such a confusing thing to go through because you, everybody knows deep down that they're no less or more important than any other person on the planet. Yeah. And so it's like, uh, it's like you have to, somehow bring those two things together like you know understand that and then have to live through this experience of like just sort of being dehumanized and not not in like a malicious way but just in like a circumstance of capitalism and the way that the music industry functions yeah i don't know it's like an intensely complicated feeling and and a lot to think about and a huge responsibility and I don't know. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I totally appreciate what you're saying. So I wasn't specific enough. I believe the song that I was alluding to is We'll Never Have Sex. Yeah. That was the song that kind of blew up, right? It's interesting to hear you talk about how uh, some measure of fame and public profile has left you feeling um, particularly dehumanized. I wonder if it's possible to compare that sensation with the, I think a really similar sensation that I see in, like when I read your lyrics, which are wonderful, or I listen to you singing so impassioned, like you sound like someone who's going through that of not knowing yourself, maybe not even knowing who your real friends are. Um, that comes up a lot for me as I ponder these songs because this notion of predators and arts communities. Sorry, I'm going to jump around here a little bit. Yeah. Please forgive me. There's a lot of stuff swimming around on this record and in your work, but this notion of predators uh, in the arts community, it, it, for some reason, it's particularly complicated for some people. It's not just this person is terrible, as you say in a song. I think it's guts. Yeah. Oh, I like I like playing with that guy. So that trumps any other thing that they may have said or done. We've all. I don't know if everyone has experienced this, uh, but I've certainly become more familiar with this notion of like. Something comes to light and we're like, what do we do? Yeah. This linchpin of the community or this person that plays in five bands. What do we do with this? The answer seems so obvious, but it's very complicated. They're not moving away. They're not doing. Anyway, sorry, I'm really yeah. all over the place with this. I want to stick to the point of the question. This dehumanization of yourself, but also of people in our sector, in our community, it seems to ring true for you. 
And I don't, again, mean to keep asking you to A, B experiences. Yeah. But you're someone, I think, who's already sung and written and thought about what it means to be dehumanized. Now you're going through it in a different way. Can we figure out a way to connect those two versions of yourself who is already struggling with what it meant to be a person, I think, and, and be in your, in your community? And now this, your community has just gotten bigger and you feel even less like a person somehow. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if what my question is exactly, but could you, do you relate to what I'm saying on yeah, some level? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. just uh, different scales of the same thing, which is how they're connected, where it's like in, in the case of, of being a part of a small, smaller music community and yeah, potentially there is a person who's doing harm or whatever. Um, and then like my experience was coming forward about that and not being supported, yeah. not like, um, you know, being held by that community in any way or protected. And in that scenario, you know, I think it's like almost a coping mechanism for the people who are in the periphery of, of that to yeah. dehumanize you. Because it's like, if I really think about how complicated you are and how much of a person you are and how hurt you are, then I'm going to feel bad. So what I'll do is I'll dehumanize you. And then, you know, in this scale of things too, it's more of a symptom of like just the way that we're taught to interact with people that we don't personally know that we maybe have a parasocial relationship with, I think is a function of the same protective kind of instinct of like, well, if I really think about you as a complicated person and all the ways that you are good and bad and, you know, like the way that you are just as flawed as me and just as awesome then I'll have to reckon with that within myself too. And right. I'll have to maybe change my behavior towards you. And so it's right. like this, like almost like a, a protection thing. And I think where, where I struggle so much is, is like, I think maybe it's just like the kind of social time that we're living in. But um, in all of those scenarios, in my opinion, like radically humanizing people is the best way to go about it, including maybe the person who's doing the harm in the music community, including the artist and the listener, like where it's just like, it's always so much more nuanced than a person being good, being bad. Um, yeah. And the most effective way to, to deal with any of these scenarios is just like a focus on harm reduction and on care and, you know, like finding the root of the problem and trying to address that. But you're right there. It's a very, it's a, it's a similar feeling. It's, it's the same sort of feeling of like having your autonomy and your humanity taken away from you because other people can't deal with it being big and complicated and right. hard to understand. And I think yeah. I've fallen into the same trap of, of doing that myself as we all have with other people too, where it's just like, it's easier for me to see you as one thing than it is to see you as complicated but in the end, it always feels better to to do the latter. Yeah, like as I ponder some of your lyrics, you are trying to address people, but the anger is so high that there's a lot of violence in in this yeah. too, which in itself can be dehumanizing and as as a way of just like, well, not really though. Sorry, I'm I'm struggling with this too. There's some gore in your lyrics. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of body stuff. I, I can't cover, like, guts keeps coming up. A lot of visceral yeah. sickness in my stomach, which is, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's interesting. You're, I feel like you're trying to connect to your body through these songs, trying to figure mm -hmm. it out and other bodies when you talk about 
hitting someone so hard that they're going to end up a bloody lump on the floor. Yeah. That's really complicated stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 what is your relationship to physicality? Sorry, I feel like we're talking about some of the same things in a different way, like this remote yeah, yeah. sort no, of virtual, virtual relationships, but then to actually see someone and have that visceral yeah. reaction, good or bad, butterflies yeah. in your stomach or bile. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like those things, you oscillate between those two quite a bit on this record, would you say? Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah. do. Yeah. So that, that connection to the, to the biological reaction that someone mm-hmm. might have in your position, where do you suppose that emanates from as a songwriting? I think it's a constant songwriting image of like yeah. physicality and, and humanization, but also, like, like I say, some of the anger gets into Frankly, death mm-hmm. and destruction. Like these are not yeah. light topics. Where do you suppose that comes from as, in terms of your um, songwriting influences even? I mean, I think that it's the like old as all art phenomena of like you can access and talk about feelings, thoughts, desires and things through art, through poetry, through song yeah. that you would never, ever act upon in real life. And it's one of our only outlets for like acknowledging those things in ourselves and it's honestly in some strange way like a beautiful exercise in kind of emotional regulation and like not taking things out on people in real life I feel like so often I write things into songs that I really needed to talk about and I really needed to get out but in reality I wouldn't ever bring that to the person that I wrote it about because I don't think it's worth it or important but it is something that I felt so I think so many of my lyrics about a specific situation are all the things that I wouldn't actually be able to say in conversation with that person. All the things that like I feel and that I feel very like viscerally and very physically in the way that my body holds stuff without ever, ever actually having to say it to anybody at all. And then, you know, a year passes before the recording comes out. And so (laughs) the situation's less relevant anyway. (laughs) I don't know why, but I, I, as I ponder some of your lyrics, some of them, I feel like it's someone who's entering adulthood looking back on their teenage self quite a bit. Is that fair? Yes. Is that a lot of it? Yes. I would say okay. that almost a hundred percent of my discography so far is like has a coming of age theme. And I feel like actually only now am I kind of like moving away from nostalgia in but my writing. That's an interesting term you just used. You use nostalgia, but mm. I hear a lot of regret. When True. you talk when you talk about being someone who can't say a thing to someone, mm. but you can say that same thing to them in a song. And in your case, I don't know how far out of high school you're you are at the moment. I'm gonna guess five, six years. Yeah, I'm uh, closer to like seven, seven years, I think. Okay. Wow. I was, I don't even know you. We never met. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just guessing. So you're, you're seven years out and you're having a mid, midlife moment of yeah. where did I come from and what should I, I, cause I sometimes, uh, to put myself to sleep, I will, I will like set myself up in scenarios from high school. Oh, I should have said this. Oh, I should have hit that basketball shot. Oh, if only. And I put myself <laughs> yeah. in that fantastical mode. But what is it about high school is so weird. It's so formative. I get yeah. it. But you're in this weird zone in, on, in some of your songs where you're, I can tell you're nostalgic, but you wish you were, nostalgia is weird. Sometimes we get nostalgic and we want to go back. We wish we could go back to where, mm-hmm. where we were, 
But sometimes you're nostalgic because you're like, aha, I could back to the future of the situation and change who <laughs> I was true. as a teen. If I knew then what I know now kind of swirls around. And I feel like that's a major component of some of your songwriting, that feeling of regret. And I wish I'd said this. And now I could say that. But of course, it's too late. Is any of that swirling yeah. around in your work? I mean, yes. And I think <laughs> I think that the the... The end feeling when I listen back to it is kind of that feeling of like, oh, if only things had been different. But in reality, ironically, my personal philosophy about things that have already happened has never really changed since I was a really little kid because it was one of my parents' most enthusiastic teachings is that anything that's happened to you, good or bad, is it's like that classic thing where it's like you wouldn't be who you are, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing if they hadn't happened to you. And so mostly when I'm, when I'm looking back on things, it's more, it comes from more of that place and nostalgia. That's like that longing for a feeling that wasn't even real when it was there. Fantastical. It seems fantastical. Yeah. Yeah, It doesn't, it doesn't seem real. And I want to be careful about this because I know I was just speaking with an artist whose work is a little gauzy. Like it's a little hazy. And their voice is like kind of, I don't know, airy. And I said to them, I said, uh, I bet you get tagged with being like called dreamy, you know, like mm. dreamlike. And she was like, yes. And I and I quickly said, I'm not saying that, you know, I got out of it. But my point is, <laughs> my point is, I think some of what I was just describing could be applicable to you. There's a little bit of a, a haze, an ambiance to the way your voice is, your voice is very beautiful and it, 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 it is, it kind of, um, takes me away, but it puts me in that dreamy state. Is that, is that resonating with you? And if so, is that purposeful on your part to kind of create this fantastical sound even? Yeah. I, I think it's not consciously purposeful, but looking back on or like thinking from about my songwriting from a like sort of more removed perspective, and also thinking about my influences really young and also all of my favorite musicians and my favorite songs. I think that I have always been enamored with this element of music where I love listening to horribly devastating songs that are beautiful because I think when something is beautiful and in the form of a song, I, I am able to process what it's about without feeling distressed, basically. Yeah, yeah. When I watch, I can't watch sad movies. I can't watch sad TV shows. I can't really read sad books because it actually literally devastates me, ruins my week because I just get so sad and I think about it too much. But songs, something about it being in that format allows me to access like the deepest, darkest, most destructive elements of humanity and still feel inspired to be better and do better afterwards instead of feeling kind of like distraught. And I think because I've always been so obsessed with music's ability to do that for me. I do try to do that in my own music as well, even if sometimes it's not conscious. I think I like addressing things that are really hard to talk about and putting it in a format that is very easily consumable. And then even like big philosophical concepts too, which I love writing about and I always have Mm. put into like a little song with three chords and a very uncomplicated melody because I think it's like such a fantastic an easy-ish thing to hold in the human mind. It's easier than if you were just to read it. 
Well, there's a, a couplet in Music Box that I think is relevant to what we we're just talking about. Oh, the places in your dreams, are they fiction or memory? Sorry, that just stuck with me as like a like. I mean, it, it, I think it's quite uh, appropriate for what we're talking about. Yeah, you you seem to have this. I think unlike some people who would look back on their past and feel like, well, I was a different person then. I feel like mm. you could, you in particular, could maybe really say that because I sometimes mm. think you're looking at yourself in the past and realizing you are you didn't know who you were on some mm. level yet. And you were trying to figure it out. Like, do you look at yourself objectively as being like, oh, my God, I didn't even know who I was. It's not just like I didn't ask that person out or I wish I'd studied harder on that biology exam. You literally like I, I think is it am I overstepping to suggest that like you, you almost are like I can't almost relate. I can relate to that person, but I'm so much different and I'm so much more aware of who I am now. Does that resonate? Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. I. I um as much as I love the the concept or like the I have a deep love for the knowledge that I have always been myself. I do yeah. feel entirely disconnected sometimes with versions of me that no longer exist. And I think it can be a bit of a miraculous thing because it makes me kinder to myself. Um right. yeah. Because I, I'm so much more capable of being kind to other people than I am of being kind to myself. So when the, a past version of myself is closer in my mind to being a different person than it is to being me, then I'm able to look at that person and be more forgiving of them and be more understanding of their choices and like see them as a complicated person instead of a flawed version of myself. I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy to hear you say that. I think regret, yeah. we can be too hard on ourselves when we regret things. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and I think this, this concept is basically exactly what I wrote the song to learn about. It's yeah. like looking back on myself in the couple of years prior to writing that song and seeing myself as something different. And then for the first time being like very kind to that version of myself where it's like, oh, well, you did a bunch of stupid things. And a bunch of smart things and a bunch of just random things, but inevitably there was just like so much incredible like learning going on and all of those mistakes that you made were like a beautiful little human growing up and starting to understand things that they didn't before. In that song that you were just referring to, I, I don't know if you meant to be alluding to these particular lines. When I've been cruel, I've taken up self-hatred, procrastinating pains of finally seeing myself. Um, I, I will say, like, so I don't know you, Leith. Uh, we just met. <laughs> um, but I, I, I will also say this, and I don't want to get too heavy. As I ponder what you're singing about and how you're singing it, I also have concern for you as a human being. <laughs> Has anyone close to you who knows you well uh, reached out and said, hey, like these songs are heavy and too much time in my house alone, by the way. Like, I, I'm sorry. I don't know you. I don't want to get too personal or pry, but are you okay? Like, I do feel like I, I, I listen to this. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this person is, are they okay? Like, there's so much wit and joy in this on some level, but I have this. Every time I hear your record, I hope Leith is okay. Are you Are you okay? <laughs> are you all right? I don't mean to be facetious I mean, either. I am genuinely. No, no, no. It comes yeah, through. Yeah. I mean, no and yes. 
And I think, <laughs> I think that, that is the rub. It's very like, and by the way, no, you are not the only one. When I write a song and I like, cause I, I love when I'm off the road. I do like posting on TikTok or Instagram or whatever and just sharing things as soon as I write them. Yeah. Cause I think it's like a cool, it's cool that we can do that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> I like, it's not uncommon for me to post something and my mom to call me. 15 minutes later and be like, okay. are you all right? Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm not <laughs> mishearing things. No, no, what... no, not at all. Most... It's, it's, I'm always more okay than my lyrics suggest yeah. because it is me grappling with the darkest thoughts that I have, yeah. but they are an indicator of what is truly going on with me psychologically. Yeah. And I think the new record in particular was written like in my mind, the progression of the record is like the really dark stuff to like, at the end there, bringing in many notes of optimism, kindness, good stuff again. And so I think that record in particular is like, wow, Leith is not okay, but maybe they are learning how to be okay <laughs> by the end there. I was going to ask if you're the type of artist who can uh, have like a therapeutic experience with your practice. Like, do you write a song or a record and at the end of it feel like, oh shit, A, I've learned a bunch of stuff about myself that I wasn't really sure about. And B, I think I feel better. I think I feel better expressing that. Are you one of either of those things? Hell yeah. I mean, that's, I think, my main relationship to writing music. I The way that I write music is very um, uh, intense. Like, I, I, most of the songs that I've written came out in, like, max two hours, and then I don't really touch them after I finish yeah. them. And the process is kind of like I have an insanely strong feeling about something and I want to learn more about what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it so much. So I write a song and, you know, in most times it's just like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that I felt that way. It feels really good to figure that out and to get that out. And then sometimes, especially with some of the harder topics, like especially a couple of the songs in particular, I can think of on the new record. It's like a life changing experience where it's like maybe an hour and a half of I'm like, crying like sobbing and i'm like just having like it feels like a million epiphanies like all in one go and it's so emotional that i'm bawling my eyes out and then i have another epiphany about something else and all this time i'm like writing it and trying to sort through those feelings and when that happens at the end of it 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 literally feels like everything is different like it's like I, i don't know it's just like an an incredibly intense experience and is definitely my main way of coping with the world. Well, you sound like a human being, uh, and that's good. <laughs> but I, 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 and I appreciate what you're saying. There are extremes in our daily lives, but um, you know what? Hearing you say that makes me feel better because I, I do. I, again, I just had a little. I've I've lost artists I love uh, in all sorts of ways, and uh, it, it just concerns me. I'm at an age where I'm like, I'm a parent. Maybe that's what it is. I'm like, you okay? Yeah, everybody yeah. all right? Like, let's just make sure everything's cool, man. And so, uh, yeah, like, that's where I was coming from. I didn't mean to pry. So thank you for speaking to that. Um, on that topic, and before we, we start to wind down here, you have described the fact that you have a, you feel like you have a responsibility to people mm. as a, a public person now. Have you found that your music, um, like, have you heard from people who have said your music helps them or has been, um, save them or some words to that effect. Have you had any experiences like that? Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've had a lot and it never, 
it never gets less, I don't know what the word would be, like humbling or I don't know. It just never, it, the craziness of that feeling never diminishes no matter how many times it happens that you could have ever had a positive effect on a person's life that you didn't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like the best thing that's ever happened to me probably that I can be helpful to people who I've never gotten the chance to speak to. That's, that's lovely. And I, I, I appreciate that that's a part of this responsibility of being a public person that you seem to have a lot of gratitude for. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So you've finished this record. Obviously it's been out, it's been circulating, it's acclaimed, all these sorts of things. Uh, have you begun working on something else, something new? Yeah. I am arranging some recording sessions right now, and oh. um, I'm also just a pretty constant writer. So I, in the next week or so, actually, my my job for myself is to sort through my um, hundreds of voice memos and Google Drive links and pick the things that I really want to record. And then I've also been writing a lot of new songs in the last couple of weeks. So yeah, it's, the new project is definitely in its beginning stages. That's great. And do you feel like... And your initial stages, like, is the kind of fantastical past that we've been describing, uh, is it still proving to be fodder, stuff you have to work through and, and write about? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. But I, there is a slightly more of a theme, kind of like what I was saying before, for the first time in my life, I'm maybe moving away from nostalgia a tiny bit, where I find myself writing more about um, what it's like to be alive right now as me, yeah. and not yeah. kind of what it's like to think about how I used to feel and, and also a lot of looking forward. I think like before when I pictured, you know, a perfect scenario, I would think about my childhood. And now when I try to calm myself down by picturing a perfect scenario, I think about myself in 50 years, like on a, on a oh, farm nice. with, with my dearest friends and companions and we have a vegetable garden. That's optimism. That's great. Thinking about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. You have to, that's great. That's wonderful to hear. Um, you've done some touring, uh, since the record, uh, came out and you've got more coming, I believe, uh, sh uh yeah. in the next little while. In a general sense, uh, do you like touring? What's it like touring right now? Uh, given mm. sort of the weirdness in the world, uh, is it okay? Uh, yeah, but I do wish people cared more about the weirdness in the world. Yeah. Um, people who are attending shows. It does feel a bit ridiculous to me that in general people are not very forgiving about like my audiences, I think, are very forgiving about live shows. But I've seen a shift recently in sort of like you know, public discussion about like if I pay money for your tickets, then you should show up kind of a thing. Right. But then also nobody wears a mask. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's very like, OK, well, there's like. A actual pandemic where if I got this thing, I wouldn't be able to perform for you anymore. But then, and you'd be mad at me, not my audiences, but I don't think, yeah, but, yeah, you know, no, yeah, but then, yeah. but then also you don't make an effort to protect me and the other people in this space. And it's also for me, a lot about, uh, disability justice. Like there's, I've had a lot of fans who have, who I've, who have messaged being like, you know, Hey, are people actually wearing masks at the yeah, shows? Cause yeah. if they aren't, I literally can't come that kind of a thing. And I have to be like, you know, I've told people again and again to do that. Um, but no, if I'm being honest with you, at least 50% of the crowd is not masked. Yep. And then people are literally kept from live music, which is so unfair. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. a complicated time to be moving around the world and, um, 
it's also just like a complicated social climate. Um, but I'm very grateful to be able to, to be on the road, to be in a position where it's not a true, it's not, I'm not endangering myself or the people that I work with, Yeah, you know, as much as someone else might be endangered. And, and, um, yeah, I'm, I struggle with touring for different reasons where it's just like, I'm a big homebody and I just want to like wake up and make an omelet and yeah. kiss my cats on the head, you know? Yeah. And I prefer being home, but that's a whole other. It seems to me that you and I are both on the same page in life in lots of ways. It's a somewhat <laughs> sad page, but we're on the same page. So uh, yeah. you're, you're not the only <laughs> one true. feeling this way. Okay. Uh, just to wrap this up, a couple of things. One, if people want to kind of, I know we've talked about whether or not you want people to engage with you, <laughs> but if people want to engage with you on various things, uh, the websites, whatnot, is there anywhere you'd like to direct them particularly? Um, I have a personal email that I really like to check and that I sometimes oh. respond to, uh, dearleafross at gmail.com. Okay. Um, that is, has been really great for me, especially when I'm off social media to get like a, have a personal interaction, but it's not, um, like a comment. And then, uh, other than that, I don't know. I, I generally do respond if I think that, you know, if it's like, um, worth it for me to respond i suppose yeah Yeah. all right that's good so the email no one's ever said go to my email everyone's like (laughs) check out my that's great that's that's excellent thank you i mean if you want to if you want news about shows and stuff then instagram is probably the best place to be but if someone wants to talk to me personally the email is the best no that's that's lovely i'm telling you it's great i've never (laughs) had that happen that's fantastic all right if we want if we can go out on a song uh, from this yeah. uh, record uh, to give people a sense of what we've been talking about. Uh, what would you pick and why? Uh, maybe given what we talked about, I would pick the title track to learn. We referenced it a couple of times, and I also think it's a pretty good encapsulation of a couple of the things that we've touched on. I would agree. And it's a wonderful song. So let's go to it now. Yeah. This is the title track uh, from this wonderful record uh, to learn by Leith Ross. Leith, this was, I hope, for you, a pleasure. It was a pleasure for me. I thank you so much for this time, and I hope we speak again, and best of luck in the future. Thank you so much. So nice to talk to you, too. What can I say? I'm learning to lie, but I'm living to learn what to lie. again from holding too tight but I'm living to lose what I can do without I've played a few games where no score could be fitting but I'm learning when winning's just not worth the sport and I've been so ashamed that I've run like the wind Self-hatred, procrastinating pains of finally 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, it's a it's a thrill. It's an honor. It's a, I don't even know what else to say. It's just nice to meet people and talk to people for the first time via the show. I just want to convey that because it means a lot to me. Thanks for listening to it. Because if no one else was listening, it would be pretty self indulgent, if I might say. So it's nice. It's nice to have these conversations and share them with you and meet new people, as I did with Lee Ross. I just want to thank Lee Ross again for appearing on this, the 790th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've uh, heard about and you're looking for it everywhere and you don't know where it is, uh, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook. You can follow the show on Twitter, at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and Instagram and Blue Sky and whatever else uh, at Vishkana or whatever the sites that you they all have different things now you, you'll find me generally at Vishkana that's where I am also please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation keep this podcast going six dollars or more a month grants you access to exclusive content you get episodes earlier than everybody else and if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. I want to thank uh, Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca. They're very supportive of this show. And they've got bricks and mortar locations in Calgary and Edmonton, Alberta. But yeah, you can order stuff directly uh, from their website there, blackbird.ca. also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Leith Ross. I hope you enjoyed it and learned stuff about Leith. I don't think they do a ton of interviews, so I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you'll consider uh, subscribing to this podcast or following it and asking your friends to do the same. I will talk to you very soon. I must go. Be well. Bye for now. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. 
Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.